If I invited you out to the opera, you'd be thinking, what, maybe the big lady with the hat with the horns on it? At Detroit Opera these days, what you see on stage is very different. Brunhilde, when she's there, rides a motorcycle into a digital Valhalla created by game developers. The journey that she takes with her sister Valkyries is transformed into something that's both apocalyptic and ancient and futurist at the same time. You know, like what, what, what is something we can never even fathom? That's what I want to see on stage. Um, and opera, I think more than any art, other art form can do that, you know, um, because it's so, uh, it's so unusual and has so many different uh, points of intersection. What Yuval Sharon, the artistic director of Detroit Opera, is doing right now? This is not your dad's Wagner. It has much more in common with contemporary performance art. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Fall is busy season for Yuval Sharon and Detroit Opera. This MacArthur Genius Grant recipient divides his time between Detroit and the West Coast, where he still co-directs the small avant-garde company that he founded. Yuval Sharon is an industry disruptor who's electrified Detroit Opera's repertoire. He directed a production of Bliss, a 12-hour performance that took place in a decaying palace, the Michigan Building Theater. The company has also presented Puccini's La Boheme in reverse, flipping the tragedy to begin with a death and to end with declarations of love. Ending with a sense of hope, ending with a sense of love, and um, knowing, of course, it's going to end in tragedy, but um, thinking that that's not the real end of the story, that what we really take away from our lives is, is not the tragedies, but, the, but those high points, uh, those moments that were where we felt most alive. I visited Sharon at Detroit Opera House to ask him what's next for this performance season. Thank you for making a little time for us. We know things are very busy this fall. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Great to see you. Are we at a, in a in a day in a year when people high five opera opera directors when they when they're walking around town? I would love if that was the case. Absolutely. I hope that I would love. I mean, I would think of that as as a real mark that I've uh, actually achieved my goals here. If exactly that happened. I'm going to make sure it's a plant. It's going to happen. Okay. Um, arguably, <laughs> last year was the first season when we really sort of felt your hand on the tiller. Mm-hmm. Would you say there was a favorite production last season? I, I couldn't say that. I mean, everything that I've programmed for Detroit Opera, I'm very excited about for different reasons. Um, you know, I certainly modesty would prevent me from saying anything about La Boheme. I'll let other people say stuff about La Boheme. I was very excited about it, of course. Just if I can interrupt, for those who don't know, this production of La Boheme reversed the entire flow of the narrative, and it was a co-production with Boston Lyric Opera. You mentioned that you learned some things. What would you say you picked up? I have to say that one of the things I really learned was that the audience that came, it was uh, more than half of them were new to the opera company, right? Um, and maybe, you know, maybe they'd heard about La Boheme before, but they hadn't seen La Boheme before. And the enthusiasm and the excitement in the hall, doing the piece in reverse order was actually something that was exciting for them as opposed to something they had to wrap their brains around, you know, like, how is this supposed to work? That actually when they came, it just unfolded in a way that people just really got, you know? And so 
one of the main things I learned was that I can really trust this audience to be adventurous and to be excited about something that's new and different. What was people's reaction to being back in person? I think people were just just euphoric at the opportunity to, you know, to be back in a theater and share space again and hear acoustic music. I love what a microphone can do for the extension of the voice, but there is really nothing like hearing some of these older operas uh, the way that they were meant to be heard, meaning in an acoustic hall, right? And in actually hearing the voices carry and realizing the power of the individual human voice. I mean, it was it was a rapturous moment, I think, for everybody. And and very much a reason why I wanted to do La Boheme in reverse order. Not, not just as a stunt, but really it felt like this was a time in which, you know, we were emerging from... Uh, and we still are slowly emerging from this uh, COVID uh, rock that we've been under. But um, we've been in a time of real death and loss. And uh, I think we needed a moment to remember what it is that we live for, you know, and music really does that at a, at a, at a high octane level. Yuval, it's, it seems like the company's doing really well and is getting a lot of out-of-town attention. Um, I take it, I mean, can you tell us anything about the financial health of the company right now? I, I'll say that we had the great benefit of um, state support, uh, meaning some, some government support uh, with the Shuttered Venues initiative uh, that was taken that, re- that really helped us out in these, uh, the, this, per- this past period where, you know, there were no tickets that we could really sell, you know, during COVID, other than the, the cars coming to, the, to Twilight Gods to see our piece in the, in the parking lot. So, you know, uh, we really relied and really survived thanks to that support. So I'm just, I'm really grateful for it. And I I do hope that people are paying attention that when governments support the arts, that we can actually really achieve um, some some remarkable work because we are less worried about the day-to-day of how to to survive. So, so, um, so... that 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 support has uh, ha- has ended. They're not doing that that anymore. So we're going into this transition from from having that that nice uh, th- that nice support from the government into going back to what we are used to, which is a mixture of ticket sales and individual contributions. Um, so um, you know, and that is there's a rebuilding that needs to happen right now because um, that's been on pause for everybody. You know, people are out of their habits of going to live theaters, going to the operas, going to concerts. And so we are in that rebuilding process, and no one has a crystal ball to see how that uh, how that's going to, to shake out. But my belief, and I think I've seen it here, is that when you create work that just feels like you've got to be there, and you're not going to be able to see it streamed, you know, you're not going to be able to just watch it from home, you know, you're going to have to come and be in the space with us to experience the pieces it unfolds. The more we can create events and experiences that are really, uh, that really remind people what this art form, the aspirational quality of this art, of this art form what it can really uh, speak to you with um, and, and how it speaks to you. I think offering that at the highest level uh, is, is going to help in that rebuilding process. When people in New York and Chicago and other, other cities see the reviews, they see what's happening here in Detroit. Um, I mean, can you tell if many of, the, many of the people filling the seats are from out of town these days? Well, um, I I know for a fact that, you know, Twilight Gods, you know, when we did our uh, opera in the parking garage during COVID, I think we found out that there were there were 
people from 12 states that actually found their way found their way somehow during COVID and during travel with most of them drove of course because you needed a car to experience the piece but um, I think that was so remarkable because the company had never seen anything quite like that before. I just got a very nice card from 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 an audience member in um, Chicago who saw Twilight Gods when we did it in Chicago and now has been coming to see performances uh, here in Detroit. He just came to see Valkyries and wrote me a very, very nice uh, a nice card saying he can't wait to see more performances. So I'm getting the impression that the national attention is, is really paying off. And I... I like that uh, people are going to be coming in from elsewhere, but my main interest is the is the community here in Detroit. Like I want I want people here to really realize that this is that this is trying to speak to them. I'm not trying to speak to a New York audience by doing what we're doing here. I'm trying to speak to a Detroit audience and um, making sure that people realize that and uh, and understand that and can be excited by that is what 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 my real goal is. We'll have more of my conversation with Yuval Sharon after this break. More in just a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Staging operas has always been a really delicate balance. The extravagant art form is probably also one of the most expensive art forms. <laughs> they're, they're very expensive productions to stage. Musicians have to be paid as well as all the performers who create, create the production. And oftentimes there are, you know, rules about how things can be staged. You've shown us such a range of locations and scales of production, fully staged, costumes, the whole nine yards, as well as things that were a little bit less staged. Um, Bliss, which was not a three or four act opera, but one musical motif repeated again and again and again over a series of 12 hours in a storied, if kind of aging, hall. I'm kind of wondering, like, which is which is harder, both in terms of logistics and and money and pulling it all off? Is it the more traditionally staged things or the more experimental productions that the company has done? Uh, it's such a great question. Um, so, and as you might expect, it's a complicated answer. Uh, <laughs> because on one hand, logistically, 
it is so much easier to do an opera in our own theater because we know how it works. Uh, it is it is a uh, mechanism that we completely understand. We know exactly how many uh, uh, fly system, how, how many lines in the fly system we have. We know the exact dimensions of the stage. We know that if we put the singers downstage, their voices are going to project better, etc. So logistically, it's much easier. Artistically, I find it personally, a lot more challenging because um, the relationship between the audience and the stage is a very difficult one to want to make active. You know, like we are used to uh, a certain amount of, you know, um, some people would call it passivity. I don't know if I would go that far, but this notion that um, there's a lot of expectations when you come into a theater and you take the seat in the auditorium and the curtain goes up and you watch the show and you applaud and you leave. And um, there, that is a that is a routine that for some people is very is very comforting. But that can sometimes lead to a sense of the expectations become what drives the uh, all the decision making. Okay, so then you you mentioned bliss. So bliss was logistically uh, crazy, right? Uh, or the parking garage, the opera in the parking garage with d- singers on different levels that are all on FM radio, and the the audience has to change their radio dial every time they go up to another level. And, um, uh, you know, logistically completely uh, bonkers. And yet, you know, all of those expectations are gone for an audience, right? And so they, I loved watching people here come into the Michigan Theater Building where we did Bliss. And they just were able to just take everything in with freshness. And, you know, the audience was free to walk around they could come and go as much as they wanted there were no rules you could you could look at the staging area from different angles leave and come back exactly and uh you know it was much more of a you had a lot more freedom and a lot more you know and you also had no idea what to expect And that sense of curiosity and that sense of wonder, um, we got that for Twilight Gods as well. I feel like I saw that during Blue, the opera that we did at the Aretha Franklin. And even though that was, you know, there was definitely a separation of audience and artist, uh, like in a more conventional way, but the opera had never been there, right? So our audience was coming into this new space that they had never, and, and then the audience that loves the Aretha Franklin came to the opera. They're used to seeing maybe jazz or hip hop, and now they're seeing the story told with operatic singers. And um, that was a great act of discovery too. I mean, it was there was something hypnotic about, I mean, I don't know if that's the first time opera's been presented on the water in Detroit, but there was something hypnotic about the water behind the stage and everything that was going on with the lighting and design. I was just like, <laughs> I was in, under a spell or something. It was great. Well, the director for that production, Kineza Shaw, just did such a brilliant job of also bringing the piece out into the auditorium, you know, and really making you feel that this was this was a story of everyday life. But having that experience of the of the river and um, that community to come together to experience the story together, and that you know, Kineza really shaped it in such a way that it was 
this uh, communication between the audience and the artists in a way that was so profound and, and really deep. And I think that all of that contributed to it being something that transcended any kind of genre specification. Like you couldn't just call it an opera. It was like, it was an event, you know? And I would love for that to be the case with everything that we do. I'd love for people to come take. That's what I'd like to offer this audience, you know? No matter whether it's a classic opera or a brand new opera, I really would love for that to be what people take away. I read a quote once from the soprano Natalie Desai that I'm probably going to mangle. This is definitely a paraphrase. That it's, it's almost impossible to sing and act at the same time. And really sing and really act. First of all, do you think that's true? That's definitely not true. And actually, she is a perfect example of, of. I mean, she's such a good actor. I can't believe that she actually said that. That must. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've seen her do a number of roles and just been my jaws been on the floor. Now, I think what she might have meant is that the the art of singing it's like a sport. It is. It is really a uh, a physical, physically demanding uh, activity, and there's so much to uh, you know. When people come to the Detroit Opera House, some people are are surprised to hear that um, it's unamplified for the most part. We've amplified pieces when the composer uh, uh, demands it, but um, but it's unamplified singing, which means their own human voice, the same voice that we all carry around with us and use all day long, needs to project to the back of a 2,700-seat auditorium. And not just that, they need to do it with a 70- or 80-piece orchestra playing at the same exact time. It seems so unfair. It's 80 against 1, you know? And um, and yet the singers always, uh, always persevere and come out, come out on top, literally. And, um, I mean, that is, that's an extraordinary feat. Now, you have all of that to worry about, and then you have some director yelling at you that you need to do it with more conviction and more passion and and they want you to do it this way and you've imagined faust as you know like it's an 18th century scholar and now a director comes in and says no no you're a you're a you know 20 21st century tech tech giant you know so yeah um it's hard and it's very but you know it is uh it makes it all the more remarkable uh and all the more extraordinary when you see these these talents that know exactly how to make it seem so natural. So let's talk about another stretch. If you're going to stage an opera and at the same time create a, a, a total work of art or a work of total art, as Detroit Opera is is doing, what's the what's the sauce? Like what what do you have to keep in mind to get that balance? Ooh. Um, good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you uh, referenced the total work of art because that's a very Wagnerian concept and is a great way to think about opera um, because it's not just a concert with costumes. It really is this multidimensional work where artists from all different genres are coming together to create something together. Now, that also makes opera so challenging because... There is no real secret sauce. There is this kind of mystery, and and it's it's the closest thing to it is just alchemy, which is you have to put all of these pieces together and hope that all of them fire, you know. And we all know sometimes it doesn't work, you know. Sometimes, sometimes things are things don't quite things don't quite gel the way that they're supposed to uh and any any myriad of things could go wrong at any given point you know 
uh, the, the the crew member might get the wrong uh, cue number and take the wrong, uh, you know, <laughs> it might, might bring the wrong drop in, right? Or the set might suddenly start moving. Or uh, the light cue's different and suddenly the singer's in the dark. I mean, th- these are simple things and it's so easy to happen. It you happens know? on stages every day. It happens on stages every day. Or, you know, a singer might, you know, God forbid, a singer might just be might have ate the wrong thing, you know? And because of that, they just can't hit that high note. You know, I mean, it is it is unfathomable how many things could derail any operatic performance. So all you do, and that's actually, but that's what I ultimately really love about it. That's what I'm driven by is the fact that they are, there is a kind of madness to doing them, you know, because uh, because you cannot count on them going right, you know? Instead, you just um, call on the very best talents that you can, bring them all together, and know that, you know, even if it doesn't work, it's worthwhile because these these artists are worth it and they're worth people hearing and these pieces are worth it because they can tell us so much about humanity um, and and tell us so much about ourselves. So I... I, um, I, I I'm starting to get the sense that maybe the secret for you is just keeping yourself creatively engaged and not bored. <laughs> Well, um, I think that's a that's that's a nice way to put it. I I would maybe go one step further, which is, it should always be out of your comfort zone. Like every single thing should be outside of your comfort zone, um, because as soon as you, I mean, but I think that that's for me. I would think of that as a life life philosophy, you know, because as soon as you get too comfortable with things, you know, you start to take things for granted. You start to you start to have a false view of life, which is also unpredictable, as we all know. You know, we have just lived through the most unpredictable thing that we could ever imagine. You know, uh, but but we couldn't imagine it. That's why COVID was such a such a shock for all of us. You know, because we just never imagined that that would happen to us, but it did. And our, you know, one of the things that I think that art helps us practice is that sense of. Uh, the encounter with the unknown and that we actually need to always be pursuing that uh, to, you know, to, to a degree in which that we can't even, we can't even imagine. Well, you just blew my last question. I was going to ask if you were feeling settled in in Detroit, but I guess I should hope that never happens. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm settled in my unsettledness. How about that? Uh, <laughs> and now it's, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, it's now I'm two, almost two and a half years into, into my, I know, into my, into my tenure. And, um, you know, there's, it's, it's such a great, it's been such a great learning process to get to know the community and get to know people here and get to know, um, get to know, you know, where people are coming from. And that, that's so important to realize where you're trying to take people is, okay, where, where are people starting? And, you know, um, you know, Detroit Opera as Michigan Opera Theater has a lot to be proud of, but it's also left a lot of uh, space for new discovery. You know, when we do Xerxes in March, that's a company premiere. And I think that that's extraordinary. You know, I mean, that is such a classic with with some of the most uh, immortal arias ever written. And it's never been performed here. So how how wonderful to be able to do that for the first time here in Detroit. I Need MR, which will close our season. Uh, Osvaldo Golikov is, you know, the for in my opinion one of the great composers of our time never performed here so you know there's there's a lot that will not everything needs to be a, a green screen tron experience not everything needs to be in reverse order but um i feel like there's so much discovery still to be to be had here and that, that i find that very exciting 
Detroit Opera is preparing to present a rarely seen production of Gounod's Faust under the guidance of rock star theater director Liliana Blaine Cruz. In this interpretation of a classic tale, the questing scholar is recast as a tech industry executive looking to dodge death and other earthly consequences. Three performances will be running at Detroit Opera House November 12th, 18th, and the 20th. That's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes for streaming anytime you're ready for another listen at michiganradio.org. Support for arts and culture coverage on the show comes in part from the Michigan Arts and Culture Council. Today's pod was produced by Ronia Kabansak. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.